VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week, we have some fabulous stuff for you. Not only do we have your normally scheduled programming, which of course is this, what you're listening to right now. We also have a bonus episode about a new book called The Big Disruption, which is a quite fantastic satire of modern Silicon Valley written by a former Googler. So we speak with the author, Jessica Powell, and that is over in the bonus episode, which if you look right now, should be also in your feed. So do check that out. And before we get to the current show, today's show, I would just ask you to take a moment, stop, or maybe you don't even have to stop. You can do it while you listen. Go over to Apple Podcasts, give a rating and review. As I always say, it helps other people find the show, and it is a very big help. So just take a second, and while you do that, we will get to today's show, which starts right now. Yo, technology. What is it all about? I was taught it doesn't matter what it costs. You go get a degree because that is the ticket. We're finding that to be less and less true, right? The cost of the degree continues to increase and the value of just having a degree declines over time. This week on Danny in the Valley, we have Austin Allred, who is a refugee from the great state of Utah. And he is also the founder of Lambda School, which I find just fascinating. It's a coding school, but with a difference. So rather than having to pay the usual, whatever it is, 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand, they charge nothing. It's totally free. The catch is that once you graduate, if you get a job that pays 50K or more, they take a share of your earnings for a couple of years. I think it's like 17, 18%. And Allred reckons that this is, this is the future of education, especially when you look at things like student debt and the, this kind of growing idea or reality, really, that um, university education is less and less of a good deal. Oftentimes people come out with, you know, 100 grand in debt and, well, questionable marketable skills. So he thinks this can be applied to a whole load of things. So we talk about that. We talk about the state of education today, how he got started, how he ended up out here from Utah, which is a whole story in and of itself, and um, where they go to from here. So I think you'll really enjoy that. I know I did. So without further ado, we'll get to that right now. Here is Austin. So let's start because you have a really interesting backstory from what I've read. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how much you've read, so you have to <laughs> give me some hints. So um, you arrived here when? So I'm from rural Utah. So yeah, I came out, 
about five years ago when I was trying to break into tech. That's probably what you're referring to because I lived in my car and that kind of thing. Yeah, so okay. you were you were living in your car. Yeah, I couldn't afford the ridiculous rent out here, but I still wanted to be in the valley. Yeah, I lived in the back of my Honda Civic and... Yeah, was, so just, a, was it a hatch? That's a small space. Yeah, so you kind of put the passenger seat down, and that's where your head goes, and then your feet go back into the trunk. And I half-inflated a baby twin-sized air mattress and laid it, and it kind of covers up over all the seats and springs and stuff. It's actually quite comfortable. I know it doesn't sound like that. That does not sound comfortable <laughs> at all. Based on that. But but yeah, I I didn't have any money, and I wanted to be out here, so I just did what I had to do. And it was I mean, it wasn't super convenient, right? But it was it was livable. Doesn't sound super convenient. No, I'd, so I'd shower at the YMCA and work out, and then I'd go to like a hacker space, and they had a fridge there, so I could have food and work and all that stuff. And I really would work for 14, 15, 16 hours a day, and then just sleep in the car, not repeat. And were you always parked in the same place, or were you roving? In the beginning, I roved. Um, I just park in random streets and you find that most people don't actually look in all the windows of the cars when they walk by you you're just fine and people don't notice that you're there after a while i found a church parking lot that i could stay in i they had like a bunch of trailers in the back and there was an empty parking space so i just kind of would go in there and i'm pretty sure nobody knew i was there um (laughs) one morning i woke up and there were like police cars in the parking lot so i don't know if they thought it was suspicious i just took off and they didn't follow me so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and so you spent how long was that were you living in your so that was only four months and then i got a job what was your job internet marketing funnily enough in utah where i'm from heard that i was doing all this and then a couple founders reached out and were like wait what are you doing living in the bay area and i got i got married as well so that kind of all worked out together is it was was a wild time wait Um, wait, hold on (laughs) So you got married. Did your wife have her own car to sleep in? No, she was she was living in Utah throughout, oh, okay. throughout all of this. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So I was engaged the whole time I was out here. Yeah. Oh wow. And what did you study? Um, I studied advertising for a couple semesters and and dropped out. I actually right. dropped out and then came out here in the car. Wow. So it was all connected. Right. 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 Okay. So you get this job and then internet advertising. Yeah. How long did you do that? Um, I did that about six months while I was working on the company that I had originally come out here to start. Which was? Uh, It's called Grasswire. So we're trying to democratize news fact-checking, basically. Kind of crowdsource that. Like Snopes or... Yeah, but like at scale and really... A a lot of it was like Middle Eastern nitty-gritty fact-checking that most people don't want to do. It worked. We had, you know, half a million visitors a month to the site. But turns out there's not much money in telling newspapers that they're wrong and we didn't have a big enough audience to have advertising <laughs> or anything. So it just kind of died after a while. So how did that, how did that work when you said crowdsourcing fact checking? So yeah, we basically built a platform for people to come in and drop sources. And so we called it the newsroom. It was designed to work the same way any newsroom would just anybody can participate. So anybody can come in and bring sources and we had editors that would you know, verify stuff and make sure it was happening. But, you know, when the Paris shooting happened, for example, we had like 5,000 people running through, gathering information, trying to make sure it's accurate. So when stuff like that happens, nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah. So 
just try to bring the power of the crowd to verify that stuff. And we were generally faster than most other news organizations. Because there'd be average people in the street in Paris saying, this is what's happening, or this is right, or this is Yeah, or there'd be people that would be, you know, combing through social media. They find a picture, they try to use Google Street View to verify it, that kind of thing. I mean, if you had a a thousand man hours just trying to do the basic investigative duties of a journalist, that's basically what it was. Right, because we actually had... um... Last season, we had Jimmy Wales on the podcast, and he's yep. doing uh, this very, very similar, yeah, yeah. Wiki Tribune, which yep. sounds very similar to what you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I talked with Jimmy about it, and we we folded right before he started up Wiki Tribune. So, I don't know Jimmy very well. I've yeah. had a ten minute conversation with him, but similar idea, right? Just I've never started Wikipedia, so. <laughs> <laughs> so then you launch Grasswire. Do you have any funding or you just... Yeah, we raised a little over half a million in VC, ran it for a year and a half, and then our Series A kind of fell apart and that's that was the end of it. Because you you couldn't figure out how to monetize it. I mean, it's, it's a variety of things, but that's the main one. Right. Yeah. So you've come out here, you've lived in your car, you've got a job, you've started a company. So now I'm back in Utah and I'm broke and... I was working, the whole company was remote, so I just went back to Utah, Right. lived by the in-laws farm, and now it's, oh shoot, I don't have a job, and there's certainly no jobs out here. My background is in growth marketing. Um, not not farming? Not farming, unfortunately. I would have been, <laughs> I would have been golden. I would have been making 30K a year, but I would have been golden. Yeah, so then I started applying to a bunch of different places and ended up working at a company in San Francisco. And was there for a couple of years and then started Lambda School. So what was it? Where were you working in San Francisco? Uh, it's called LendUp. So I was over a bunch of the growth team there. Um, we did loans to people with bad credit, essentially. Right, right, right. Trying right. to kill payday loans, basically, which is hard to do. Is that backed by KPOR Capital? Yes. Yep. Yeah, right. Because I think they told me about that. Right, right. Yeah. Right. They're very, very mission-driven, trying to do the right thing. The name of that game is trying to figure out who you can lend to that will pay back because according to their credit score, none of them will for the most part. Yeah. So it's figuring out how to take that risk that banks won't, basically. That Which brings us to present day. So what is Lambda School? What's the elevator pitch? Yeah. So Lambda School, we train people to be software engineers and data scientists in live online classes. And we do that for free in exchange for a share of their income for two years. So you don't pay Lambda School anything until after you're working as a software engineer making more than 50000 a year, and then we take a percentage of your income for a couple of years. You know, we're trying to solve for the fact that education is expensive and not everybody has that opportunity, trying to extend that to everybody and provide a world-class education that is so good that you're definitely going to get a job on the other side. And we don't get paid unless you are hired. It's on you. It's not like, um, so I went to... UC Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people um, graduating with like communications degrees or things where, you're, or myself, I studied political science and I came out and I was like, yep, yeah, I don't really know what I'm going to do now, but and there's the university in a way doesn't care. Correct. Some, some care, some don't, right? Yeah. Um, but they're certainly not incentivized to care. You paid tuition either way, which that's not a bad thing necessarily that just puts all of the risk and all the onus on you what we've found is that there are a lot of people that are not going to school because they can't afford that risk 
especially folks that are coming from low income backgrounds, it's really difficult risk to justify. Yeah. So we tried to eliminate that risk. The, the school can hold the risk, right? We as an institution can do that because we have, you know, we, we don't even look at it the same way as most schools do. We look at our students as investments that we make and we say, okay, we are going to take this person and, you know, it'll cost us ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 to train them to be a software engineer. So we need them to get a job on the other side. Is that a bet that we're willing to make as a school? You treat everything very differently when you're looking at it that way instead of, hey, will I take this guy's money? Right. What was the inspiration for the idea? How did you end up there? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I'd be in at work in San Francisco and we would have you know, $10,000 recruiting bonuses for software engineers. And then I, some of the smartest people I know back in Utah are working on a farm making 30K. And I'd talk to them about, you know, how huge that opportunity is and why don't you go to a code school, go to school, do something. But they'd be like, $15,000 to go to a code school, that's half my annual income. Yeah. If it doesn't work on the other side, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. So I can't take that risk. So we started out just saying, okay, well, let's make one that's online so that it can reach the people like where I'm from. But then let's also figure out how to de-risk it over time. And I didn't think we would be able to get to zero up front. I thought there would still be some, some deposit or something. And everybody that we talked to in the beginning was like, yeah, if it's zero up front, you're going to get killed. But it's worked really well. You went, actually went to Y Combinator for this, right? Yeah. So, so we started it um, just kind of bootstrapping it, me and my co-founder. I was still working and he was just teaching all day and I would drive the Wait, traffic. he's a university teacher or something or is he... No, he he dropped out of college too. Oh, okay. Um, he doesn't even teach for us anymore, but in the beginning he was the teacher. So yeah, he would just teach for basically 12 hours a day and then I would keep driving traffic and we'd had a bunch of free classes and that's how we would drum up interest and then there'd be a certain point at which we would say, all right, like that's, you know, thanks for attending the free class. If you want to continue, pay us X thousand dollars and that's it. It was a really simple business in the beginning. When was this? About 18 months ago. Okay. And then there was a point where, you know, we had a couple open spaces for one of the classes. We couldn't get people to pay up front. And so we sent an email to the list of, you know, the 7,000 people who had done one of our free classes and said, hey, you know, we know that one of the main reasons you, you guys can't participate is because it's just expensive up front and you can't afford that. So let's try something for these last couple spots if you pay us $1,000 up front, then you can pay us the rest after you get a job. And we had like 50 people that were like, okay, I'm in. That would have been more from deposits than we collected in full tuition from the rest right. of the group. So we realized there was something there. And we went to Y Combinator basically saying, look, the market size, if the school can hold the risk, is probably 100x what it is if you're making people pay 15 k up front. So let's figure out how we can, how we can make that work. The $120,000 from Y Combinator gave us enough runway that we could just say, okay, now it's completely free up front. It's twice as long. We're, we're going to do what we've always wanted to do that we just couldn't do because we didn't have enough money. Right. I mean, the the problem, because right now, obviously, it's it's very focused. It's just computer science for, and you know coding effectively. Uh-huh. Yeah, we just rolled out a design program as well, um, UX design. But, but it's still in the software. Realm. Right. And do you foresee this being able to be applied to choose any number of subjects i don't know but beyond sim i know that it, in software engineering in particular people can make really good money very quickly and so that's i imagine part of what makes your model work mm -hmm. but have you thought about how 
applicable this could be to other subject areas and fields of study? I have been inches away from buying a nursing school. So it doesn't make sense for us because we need to focus right now. Yeah, I view Lambda as a trade school more than a traditional university. And I think, frankly, we're missing that in the United States. Everybody's going to a university when a lot of people just really want a job. And I have nothing against a liberal arts education. I just don't think that everybody should do it and everybody should go hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to have it no matter what. You know, I view Lambda School eventually as kind of the, the economic clearinghouse where we're taking people that are low income, high potential and moving them to where we think they would be if the economy were perfectly optimized. Software is an obvious first place to go because that's where the yesterday we had a guy that he was making 23K a year before and now he's making 95K. So he's making 23K before. Before Lambda School. And then how long is the program? Now seven and a half months. Seven and a half months of, I imagine, quite intense online study, yep. tutoring, etc. Now he's making 95. And now he's making 95. And how much of that do you get? So we are capped at 30000 So we take 17% of salary for two years, only if you're making more than 50K. And then it's capped at 30000 so he will hit that $30,000 cap. So he'll basically pay us 15000 a year for two years. Um, and then, then it's... And then it's done. Wow. So even including the percentage that he's paying us, he'll be making... Twice. Twice what he was before. That's pretty average. Once you include paying us, I think all of our students so far are still making more than they would have before Lambda. Right. So it's just a... I mean, there's no loser in the situation everybody wins and what if they don't get the job or what if they get a job that pays them 45k they don't pay us anything and that's it yeah so the the income share agreement lasts for up to five years so we've had students that the day they graduate they're broke and they need to go be a, a waiter or something we're still working with them as hard as we can to get them right to that job but if you know after five years they haven't made it or they've ended up in as a bartender or something, even if they're making 50K as a bartender, then we just don't get paid. Right. And that's a risk that, that we take. I mean, what, you, what you're taking on is because the U.S. and increasingly in the U.K., the university system, what it leaves students kind of in the situation of, okay, I've been at school for three or four or five years. I've accumulated all this debt. And it's kind of like a now what type situation. Yeah. It's a pretty meaty problem that you guys are... Yeah. So, so for an example, we had one guy who he decided to go to Lambda and his friend went to a local university to study computer science. Seven months later, the first guy is hired making 85K a year as a software engineer. And his friend still has three and a half years of university before he enters the job market. You know, By the time his friend graduates, he'll have, call it $100,000 in student debt. I don't know what it really will yeah. be. Meanwhile, his friend has paid off Lambda, has earned an extra quarter million dollars in income, has no debt, and has three years of job experience. I think everybody is becoming aware of the cost of college, especially in the U.S., just the, the university. I mean, it's a thousand X the price what it used to be in the 1980s. A thousand times. Yeah. Or sorry, it's a thousand percent. A thousand, um, so it's ten times so what it was. To, yeah, 10X. I mean, in the 80s. depending on which school you're looking at, private right. universities. I mean, you used to, you know, we talk to older people and they're like, why don't you just 
work a side job while, and to pay for school. And it's just physically not possible anymore. You have to go into debt because tuition is so expensive. And everybody recognizes that. But what I wish more people recognized is, you know, if you're spending four years doing something that could be taught in even two years, that's a huge opportunity cost. So our goal is to get you in, teach you what you need to know, get you out as fast as we can. I think that's just a very different model than the traditional yeah. university system. And when you come out of after that seven months, say I go to, I'm 18 or 19 or whatever, mm-hmm. and I could go to Stanford and get a computer science degree, or I could go to Lambda and get the, and go through the seven-month program. When I come out, are they equivalent or in terms of what I have received in terms of education or is... What's the difference? Yeah, so, so we don't give a degree or a diploma. We're not focused on the credentialing side. If you look at the core track of a computer science degree, we cover on a, an hour-per-hour hour basis about 80% of that. Because what you don't realize is, you know, if you go to a university, two of the years you're not even touching computer science. And then a lot of the time you're still spending, even if it's in com- the computer science field, you're spending in math and physics and chemistry. And I have nothing against... I think those are great, but our goal as an institution is to get you to employment as quickly as we can. So we teach what we think is the stuff that will actually help you be a great software engineer. And then in our minds, you know, you should should be continuing to study all that stuff even after you graduate. The trade-off, the big trade-off is that if you're at Stanford, that's stretched out over a couple of years, so you should be doing side projects along the way. So of course, you know, you have more time to write code if you sit down and write code. So at Lambda, the difference is, you know, we pack it all in and then you go get a job and you're writing that code on the job. Right. I, I personally would prefer to hire somebody with three and a half years of on-the-job experience instead of a little bit more time in school. But that's something that everybody has to consider for right. themselves. What is student debt now in America? Uh, we just hit $1.6 in cumulative student debt. That's crazy. It's absurd, yeah. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And is there, I mean... In setting this up, I mean, is there any reason, or have you interrogated why 
there's that 10 times increase or what is it about? Because obviously you're online, so that takes out a big cost. Yeah. I mean, universities have grown tuition by more than they need to, right? A lot of it is... So the reality is that the federal government started backing all student loans. So now all of a sudden... I don't have somebody looking at whether or not I will be able to likely repay a loan when I'm giving a student loan. It's just, it's all backed by Uncle Sam. All of a sudden, students have theoretically unlimited money to go to school. So if you're a university, you can up your tuition and it doesn't change anything. And you can up tuition and you can start to add on things that maybe not be necessary, but you know now you're competing with all the other schools and who has the nicest laboratory, well, let's up tuition and build the nicest laboratory, and that's how we get people to come to us. So, I mean, whenever anything is federally subsidized, the price goes up just by definition. Right. And that's a lot of what happened in the university system. So even there are university presidents that are trying to fight it, but it's, it's difficult in a world where there's just so much inflationary pressure on prices. You know, Now the administrative costs at most schools are two or three X what the cost of the actual teaching is. There are buildings all over the place that wouldn't have been there if it weren't for inflated student tuitions. Um, So it's just, it's fundamentally not a sound market. What you guys are doing is interesting. And I feel like there's a few others, like I think there's like, it's Holberton school Mm -hmm. in general assembly. There's more and more of these startups looking at how do we do this better? But generally it feels like, of all the things that Silicon Valley is going after, education has been pretty overlooked. Yeah, I, I think education has traditionally been very difficult to break into. I mean, if you talk to 10 people that are thinking about education, the first question on nine of their minds will be, how do we get access to federal funding? Because that is the only way any of it works right now. So you have to play the finance game if you want to play the education game. Or, you know, there are schools that, you know, the code schools that charge $15,000 up front, you're just inherently limited by how many people are willing to walk up to your school and give you $15,000, $20,000. Right. It's, it's just not a fair fight, right? You're fighting against schools that people don't think about how much tuition is, and they have unlimited amounts of capital at a really low interest rate. I mean, it's relatively low. It's still not nothing. Yeah, it's just, it's just not a fair fight. And that's why education has been such a hard nut to crack. Well, it's also cultural, though, too. That's I true mean, as well. this, uh, this yeah. idea of, like, I, you know, I have a two-year-old and a soon-to-be zero-year-old. The idea of them kind of going to college is an aspiration. For sure. And I, I think especially, you know, my parents' generation, I mean, I was taught, it doesn't matter what it costs. You go get a degree because that yeah. is the ticket. I think over time, we'll f- we're finding that to be less and less true, right? The cost of the degree continues to increase, and the value of just having a degree declines over time. And that, that causes a bunch of really weird economic dynamics. Um, so we're, to some extent, we looked at accreditation, and we could become an accredited university, but then we would have to change everything we do. All of our curriculum would have oh, really? to go through reviews. Oh, it's it's incredibly rigid. Um, we would have to have a librarian full time on staff, even if we don't have a library. It's there's crazy. You need a librarian. You, you literally have to have, <laughs> and most of it is 
your instructors have to have this level of degree to teach this level course, even though, you know, we have a guy that's self-taught that worked at Google for 10 years. He's not qualified to teach an entry-level programming class because he doesn't have a master's degree. So it's all, it's right. very recursive. It's all built around the understanding that the university system is the way it is and that that's the way it should be. And so we basically just have to opt out of that entirely. And that means we don't get access to federal funding, which is fine. I don't care. Right. Um, we can find other ways to finance it. And I think personally, I have an, a moral issue with people taking on student debt that they have to pay whether or not the school works out for them and that they can't bankrupt their way out of even in a worst case scenario. You can't bank your, bankrupt your way out of student debt? Nope. You cannot. Declare. So even if you file personal bankruptcy, it's still that's still hanging out there. Like you can't. Correct. That, that debt is not cleared. Correct. That's the only real debt that that is the case. Everything else, I mean, you can declare bankruptcy. They'll they'll take your house. They'll take your car. But you know, you at least go to zero. Yeah. Student debt, you cannot. Wow. Which is pretty messed up. That is very messed up. The rationale behind it is that what if people go to school for four years and then they just declare bankruptcy on the day they graduate? Right. Yeah. I mean, because it's, that's going to happen on in, in massive scale. Right now, it might. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. But yeah, it causes some perverse incentives for sure. And I mean, I if I had a nickel for every time I talked to somebody that said, oh, I wish I had Lambda School when I was going to school. I have $150,000 in student loans and I've paid $50,000 and I still have $150,000 in student loans because that interest yeah. is not trivial if you're you know, talking Big hundreds numbers. of thousands. Yeah. yeah. All the time I talk to people who have you know, $50,000 in student loans, they're making a $500 a month payment for 10 years and their balance has gone up. So even though they've paid $20,000, they still owe more than they did when they graduated. It's just, right. It's not, yeah, it's not a fun game to play. No. Is it hard to get in? It is. So we have something that we call tryouts. Basically you submit an application and because we're deciding who we want to bet on, we're not, you know, we're not just going off of a paper application. I don't care what your grades were like in college. I don't care where you went to high school. I don't even care where you're working right now. We just want people that can show us that they're willing and driven and capable. Um, and we do that through tryouts. So that's basically, we have about a month of part-time classes, some are self-paced, some are live, and we see how you perform in those classes. And we make our decision based on that. So trying to keep it as meritocratic as we possibly right. can. And so if I, I don't know, say I studied an English degree or my degree, political science, mm -hmm. is it possible for me to get in? In other words, very much so. Yeah. Right. So you just have to show up to those, to the tryouts. You have to learn, you have to demonstrate that you are Some learning kind of as you go along. Right. But it's, I mean, there are very few people that are willing to do that. Right. It's kind of funny. You, you will get thousands and thousands of applications and then we'll say, Hey, do this thing and then we'll accept you. And very, very few people are willing to do that thing. Really? Um, so that is one of our leading indicators that helps us make our decision. Yeah. There are very few people actually follow through and come do this tryout. Very few people finish the tryout. It's, I mean, it's and hard. There, even what is the tryout? Um, it's, it's an introduction to programming class. I mean, you can take it self-paced or you can, we, you can do it live with live instructors and we have help and it's all completely free. We want you to experience what Lambda School is like and we yeah. want Lambda to experience what it's like having you as a student. 
I think a person of average intelligence and above average drive or grit would be accepted. And have you ha- have you had any kind of incoming or interest from universities thus far? Are they kind of like you're just not that interesting to them yet, or do they see an opportunity or a threat or somewhere in the middle? Uh, we have. Um, so a lot of the time there are schools that have been trying to create their own computer science curriculum and staff, and it's just hard to do, right? Especially if nobody in the school has that kind of expertise. So we'll probably be partnering with a couple of them that they basically say, hey, you know, we have a computer science degree, but you can also just go to Lambda and I mean, they'll give a, they'll probably give you credit for it. I don't, I don't really care. The real goal is in that geographic area, there's not enough technical talent. We spend all of our time building that ability to make somebody technical and they don't have that. I don't know what those partnerships will look like necessarily, but there are a lot of universities that have basically said, look, you guys get it. We don't. How can we get our people the knowledge that you guys have? What is the uh, acceptance rate? So of the people that complete the tryout, it's about 25%. Of the people that apply, it's 1%. It's really small. Oh, wow. And how many people have gone through the program so far? So we've had about 120 graduates. Um, We have another five, almost 600 enrolled right now. So So it's, it's growing quickly. Yeah, we've got 33 full-time employees, then 60 part-time. And you've uh, you've raised some money to ha- to keep the lights on. Yep. Yeah, we raised, after YC, we raised a $4 million seed round. And depending on when this gets published, we may or may not have raised more money. Right, right, um, right, right. But, but yeah, we've, we've got quite a bit in the bank. How critical has Twitter been to you, spreading the word? <laughs> Because just so listeners know, I I came across you on Twitter because uh-huh. you are very active. Yes, and a lot of it is around you know success, the latest success story from Lambda. And I imagine, well, you can tell me it, it's quite a useful marketing tool or or something that's very vital to what you're doing. I cannot believe how much has come from Twitter. I mean, just as a thought experiment, I was talking with one of our investors. And he said, if you gave up Twitter, how much, how much would somebody have to pay you for you to stop using Twitter? And it's easily in the millions of dollars. Every day there are students that hear about us. There are hiring companies that hear about us. There are investors. I mean, my inbox is flooded because of my Twitter feed. Our last round that we raised happened because somebody saw a tweet about Lambda School on Twitter and reached out. And, right. I mean, I've met. Yeah, it's, it's just incredibly, incredibly valuable. And had you tried other ways to kind of get the word out? Or is this clearly just the the, the most effective? Yeah, I, I didn't view it as like a, a marketing tool in the beginning. I just tweet because I my wife doesn't love it, but I do. <laughs> um, I mean, when I was first getting out to the Valley, it was my way to like meet people, right? Yeah. It was my way to show that I'm not an idiot and here's what I'm thinking about. And- well, it's really interesting also because it, I think you mentioned that the, how you got to move out of your car, so to speak, was through was that through Twitter as well? Yeah, it was. Um, it was somebody that saw me tweet about it, and then they wrote an article about it, and then somebody else saw the article that they had written about me living in my car. And then there was a founder in Utah that was just like, wait, why are you living in my car? And, I mean, there 
that's something that resonates with people when you see that kind of hustle. So that guy was like, yeah, I lived in a broom closet for six months while I was getting my first company off the ground. And, you know, Ashton Kutcher is one of our investors and he was like, I did the same thing in New York, had a hundred bucks and just moved to New York and you figure it out. Right. And recently there is a young man who, you know, was homeless and passing out resumes on the street. You know, we have a nonprofit fund that helps people like that get into a house and, you know, find jobs. And now, you know, now he's getting paid. If it's not in the six figures, it's close to the six figures. And, um, cause he went to Lambda school. He didn't go to Lambda school. He, he'd actually had software engineering experience, but he came out to the Valley without a really good plan of what he was going to do next. And so he ended up basically living in a park without any money and right. trying to find a job. And it's really difficult to find a job when you're homeless because you show up to an interview looking like a homeless guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we have a nonprofit fund that we, you know, we put together to, so we put him up in an Airbnb and he worked with our career counselors and, um, some of our, you know, practice interviewing and now he's, he's doing great. Right. You know, I definitely feel a connection to the people that are just hustling and trying to make it. And, you know, that's why I'm tweeting every day about, you know, almost every day we have somebody hired who is increasing their income by 50 K plus a year. Right. I love that. That's what I live for. Can we talk about Tesla for a second? Sure. Why not? <laughs> so speaking of Twitter. Yeah. What was it? A couple of years ago, you tweeted that you had put all your net worth into Tesla stock. I did. Yep. Why? I had, so I, I play a lot of, not, not as much anymore, but I invest a lot and I play in the stock market a lot. And I think that analysts have a really difficult time quantifying product quality, especially a company like Tesla. I think it is by far and away the best car ever made. And they have been supply and cost constrained because it's so expensive right now. And now that there's the Model 3, it's still really expensive and they're supply constrained. I think that over time they will figure out how to get to, you know, $25,000 sedan. And when they do that, there's, I mean, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, the iPod, right? There Mm. were, it's a really, really high quality, high price product. But as you hit scale, you drive the price down and eventually you get to a point where there's just no reason to buy another MP3 player. Tesla's got a ways to go before they get there, but I think they do. And frankly, at the time they were trading at like 180 and it was one of their lowest points ever because another thing that when I trade stocks, I like to kind of arbitrage is people overreacting to very temporary events. So there was somebody that had like was killed by a self-driving car and or, or a Tesla that was on autopilot. But if you look at it, the death rate was still lower for Tesla's on autopilot than it was for normal cars driving. We just we pay a lot of attention to anecdotes as people yeah. and lot more than we should and less attention to data. So I was just pretty convinced that it was going to turn around and that was my bet. And it's what's doubled basically. Since yeah. I, I sold it at about three fifty to start Lambda and took all that money and dumped it into Lambda school. But oh. yeah, it, I doubled my net worth, which I mean, the funny thing is there are a bunch of articles written about it. My net worth was like, less than 50k so it wasn't really worth writing about (laughs) to be honest there was a you know in the back of my mind i was like and if this goes to zero like i can probably get back there in a couple years it's not going to go to zero 
But yeah, it makes for a good story. Yeah, and you must have a very understanding wife. Yeah. I mean, if she's like, yeah, my husband, he was We're living in, in his car for a while, and then he's betting all of our money on one stock. Understanding is probably an understatement. She's, <laughs> she's pretty amazing. She, I mean, I'm sure she thinks I'm crazy at times, but she's very supportive. I mean, she's when I hit rough times at Lambda School, and it's like, oh, how are we going to do this? She's always like, I know you'll figure it out. You know, yeah. she's, you know, she looks at a much longer arc. And I think it helps that you know, her parents grew up as hay farmers and it, you know, it's how are you going to make it being a hay farmer? And they've done very well for themselves and she just expects the same thing of me. So right. for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of the, the staff, the teachers at Lambda, mm-hmm. I presume given all you've said about, you know, the accreditation, not accreditation, et cetera, it's just, are these just basically gifted programmers who like teaching? Or in other words, do I mean, how do you... It's gifted programmers who are good at teaching, which is very different yeah. than gifted programmers who like teaching, unfortunately. So yeah, our VP of instruction um, led the instructional design team at Apple. He's a lifelong educator and technologist, which of which there are very few in the world, honestly. And so our our process for finding instructors is very rigorous. Because that's that's the school, right? That's what makes the company. So all of our instructors are full-time W-2 salaried instructors. Most of them were finding people that could be working at Apple or Facebook or Google or are working at Facebook or Apple or Google. And we say, hey, we'll pay you 120 k a year and go move to Oregon. Go move right. to Whatever. anywhere that's not the Bay Area where this is a good salary and buy a six-bedroom house and it'll be great. You know, most of our application process for the instructors is actually teaching and we watch them teach and we critique them and it's it's you know we believe a lot in the value of trials and tryouts right um so the same way we do it for students we want to see how you perform in a classroom environment we want to see how you learn stuff we do the same thing with our instructors and it it tells you as much as you could ever hope to know from a resume and so five years from now Mm -hmm. we're breaking out the crystal ball yeah uh, what is Lambda School? Are you still just, is it still just computer science or you have the same model for all kinds of different stuff or what's, what's the, what's the big idea? Yeah. I don't think we'll be just computer science two years from now. So we'll, we'll be probably a dozen different verticals at that point. The other things that we're trying to nail right now are living stipends. So not only is Lambda School free, but we'll pay your bills while you're attending. And that would open up a lot of the rest of the market that currently can't attend. Right. And or housing. So we're housing some students in San Francisco for free as a as a trial. Just trying to like we That's we want an expensive trial. That is an expensive <laughs> trial. Um but if they get you know, if they're moving from thirty K a year to hundred twenty K a year, maybe it costs us ten K to house them in San Francisco for a year in like a shared bedroom or something. Yeah. That's nothing if you make it, right? That's nothing on the other side. Right now, it's just for you know somebody who doesn't have a big income, that's an egregiously large amount of money. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Basically, it's us saying, okay, we know we can get you to, to a job. We know that you'll pay back once you get that high-paying job. Now, how can we drive deeper and leverage that? And in five years, I would not be surprised at all if Lambda School were something where if you prove that you would be capable we would take care of all of your expenses or provide housing and food 
I mean, we want Lambda to be a place where anybody who's capable and talented just shows up and we'll take care of the rest and get them into a high paying job. That's the goal. And do you think this is, I've been going back kind of full circle to the student debt problem in the universities. Do you think this is the kind of the future, quote unquote, for how people approach or should approach education and trying to get out there in the world? I think if you can't pay for it cash, it is. There's some people that it doesn't make sense. Just if you're, yeah. if you have a trust fund, sure, use the trust fund because there is, we do have to build in the risk to the price for those that are successful. But yeah, I mean, you can pay for Lambda School $20,000 up front. That's an option right now that very few people take because very few people have $20,000. But yeah, I think the income share, risk share kind of agreement is, is the future of education, generally speaking. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Austin, who went above and beyond. So he drove to my house. This was a few weeks ago. I had just moved in. There were boxes everywhere. Um, he sat on a futon that was still a bit dirty from uh, what the movers had done to it. But he was a total trooper, and he came out here and did the podcast. And, um, yeah, had a great time talking to him about what he's up to, and I hope you found it interesting. So that's it. Another episode is done. Please do check out. I think we'll be writing a piece on Lambda School for the, the paper this weekend. You can also find it online at thetimes.co.uk. Me on Twitter at Danny Fortson or email danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. I hope you have a fabulous weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.